Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be sharing a sermon series I've been given from the book of Malachi. Now, Malachi is a book written to people who have become disappointed, a people who need to remember who they are, a people who need to know what God has done for them. They're asking, does it really change anything belonging to God? I invite you to join us over the next few weeks as we see that it has changed everything and it will continue to change everything. Well, let's dive in, shall we? Let's go. Malachi chapter 3, starting second half of verse 7 through to verse 12. That's page 962 of the Church Bibles. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Or will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God is coming. That is where we left Malachi a few weeks ago. God is coming and he's coming to refine. He's coming to put his people on trial. He's coming to judge. What do you make of that? Well, you'd think that those words would strike terror into God's people. You'd think they'd listen and they'd clean up their act. But as we've gone through Malachi, there's been an atmosphere, hasn't there? An atmosphere of not bothering. An air of, oh, we're fine. In fact, the people, what have they been thinking? They've been thinking that belonging to God doesn't change anything. So why bother? Now, I'm sure we've all had the news of a family member or a friend coming to visit. Uh, I'm sure that news makes you do something. You receive that text. What happens? Well, in our house, the vacuum cleaner comes out. uh, The cleaning cupboard is opened. And even Mr. Muscle makes an appearance. Not me. (laughs) Perhaps uh, in this very moment we find ourselves in, we actually turn the heating on. Maybe that's something we do. But imagine if that wasn't the case. Imagine that someone that you cared for, someone that you cared about, someone who's looked after you in the past, came to visit and you did nothing. What would that say? Imagine they knocked on your front door, you opened the door, you just ignored them. Uh, They walked into your house and it's a mess. And they were treated like they weren't there. What would that say to them? I mean, you could say that you love that person. You could say they mean a lot to you. But it doesn't show. And your actions 
Well, they call into question what you're saying being true or not. Our actions matter, don't they? They're a sign of what we think. Our head connects to our heart, connects to our hands. They're a sign of what we believe, aren't they? Well, bigger than family coming to visit, Israel has received notice that God is coming. The Lord Almighty himself. And he's calling Israel to return to him before it happens. Have a look at verse 7, the second half. God says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? You see that God is promising to restore the relationship with his people, uh, to return to them if they return to him. But the people, they don't think that belonging to God matters. They think God has moved away. They think that God doesn't care. They don't think that they've budged an inch. I mean, you can hear the sarcasm if you read it this way. Return? What do you mean return? How are we to return? That's how this passage should be read. See, the idea here is the people, they don't think they've done anything wrong. The problem is with God. The problem's not with us, they claim. Our passage tonight, it shows it's not God that's the problem. It's indeed the people. Their actions betray what they claim. Their actions show they don't think much of this relationship. Their actions show in what they do. And we can end up in a similar situation. Just remember these people. uh, They are the ones that God has acted for. He's sent them into exile. He's brought them back. And now they're waiting for another action to come, for God to return. Just like we've had a big action of God, the cross. And we're waiting for another big action of God, Jesus, to return. There's a chance, a chance that we might be like these people here. So this evening, Malachi wants Israel and he wants us to think about our actions. To think about what our actions claim about what we believe, what we say, what we do. How does he do that? Well, by pointing to the people's actions. What does he say? He says, you're robbing God. Have a look at verses 8 and 9. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. See, God is being robbed. Malachi says that here. He's emphatic. Uh, If you look at the Hebrew here, it's really strong. God says, you are robbing me. The emphasis is there. I mean, that has to be a shock, doesn't it? Uh, Imagine hearing that today. You'd think it's impossible, wouldn't you, for a man to rob God? So what's going on here? How are we robbing you, Israel says? Well, the answer, in tithes and offerings. Now, to understand what's going on here, we need to talk about tithing. What is tithing? Well, some people, they talk about their giving today as a tithe. We're not talking about that yet. But we are talking about the Bible's use of tithing. We need to think back to the temple. Uh, the tim- temple where God and man met. Where God and man had relationship. The temple is the cosmic place where God meets man. Uh, back in Leviticus 27, Numbers 18, you can look those up later. God gave his people instructions to provide for the people who worked in the temple. 
They were to give an offering, a tithe, to keep the temple running. God set apart a tribe, it's the tribe of Levi, to work in the temple. They were to do nothing else, just work in the temple. Now just think about it for a moment. For the Levites to work in the temple meant the Levites couldn't do anything else. So their livelihood was affected by this. So to fix that, God commanded the rest of Israel to tithe, to take some of their produce, specifically things that God's land had produced for them, and give it to those Levites. By doing that, the temple would function, the Levites would be cared for. That's tithing. But here in Malachi's day, the people are skimping on that. But wait a second. Surely that would only affect the Levites. Surely that's not, as it says here, robbing God. Well, we've already seen, haven't we, in Malachi, the priests have given up. Uh, So perhaps the people are thinking to themselves, well, I could keep a bit of this money for myself. Uh, The farms, they're not doing too well. I mean, there's all these pests around. Uh, And cutting back on my offering, well, it's going to keep me safe. It's going to keep me going. After all, God doesn't seem to be caring, doesn't seem to do anything about this. Uh, Let's have a backup plan, just in case God doesn't come through. But if you think that way, you're forgetting the whole point of that temple system. The whole point of the temple system was to maintain relationship between man and God, to show the people belonged to God. So in not keeping the temple going, in not tithing for the Levites, in not being in right relationship with God, they're like a person who claims they love their family, but doesn't show it in action. Or you could say, as Malachi does here, they're robbing God. And what does that lead to? Well, verse 9, they are under a curse. Or to be more specific, they are under the curse. Back in uh, the Pentateuch, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, God promised that if Israel were his people, if they lived his way, they would see blessing. But if they turned their backs on God... They would suffer the curse. Life with God leads to blessing. Life apart from God leads to curse. And the people are experiencing that curse still. They're still experiencing the effects of the curse. Verse 9. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. The whole point of the curse in Leviticus is for the people to look around And see, they are cursed. By robbing God, they are in fact robbing themselves. And so God calls the people to return to him. What does that look like for them? Well, in this particular situation, it looks like tithing. It looks like restoring that connection between them and God. It looks like getting the temple up and running again. Well, how does that speak to us? Well, let me be clear on this. Christians are not called to tithe today. I know some people like to use that word for their giving, but that's not the way the Bible uses this term. In fact, Christians cannot tithe today, as the Bible has it, because to tithe requires a Levite, and it requires a temple. There are no Levites and no temples today. We don't have either, you can't tithe. There are also many false teachers, aren't there, who call for Christians to sow a seed, Uh, alleged Christian preaching that says give your money to church and God will bless you. I've heard of one church in this country that said why don't you put all your money through church 
for three months and see what God does in return. I know of so-called churches in this country that abuse this passage that way. That is wrong. That needs to be warned against. We should be thankful our treasurer does not do that. He's not getting ideas in the corner there. And even if Christians were called to tithe, well, this passage, it wouldn't apply to them. Just remember who these people are. They're jaded. They're disappointed. They believe that God doesn't care about them. And what's that done? Well, it's caused them to be unfaithful. It's caused them to not be committed. This passage here is not a call to the faithful to be more committed. This is a call to the unfaithful, to disillusioned Israel, to return to God. And just to fully underline this, the New Testament is clear. Christians cannot be under a curse. Why is that? Because Jesus took the curse in our place. There is no more curse. We don't have to be under the curse. You can look that up in Galatians later. Great. Clear. But our relationship with God should show itself in our actions. Our head should connect to our hands. What we say and what we do should connect together. Now, perhaps that will flow into the way we use our money. But more than that, we are called to give our whole lives to God. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Live your life for God. So this evening, are there any areas of your life that you're keeping back? Are there any areas of your life where you have a backup plan? Any areas of your life where you are saying that belonging to God doesn't change anything? We should use this warning tonight to change that. But what would it look like if we did? What would it look like for Israel if they did this? Well, the answer is blessing in abundance. Verses 10 to 12. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Stop cutting corners. Stop holding things back. Instead, bring the whole, the whole tithe into the temple. In fact, God even goes as far as to say the people can test him. They can prove that he will be faithful, that he doesn't change in what he says. Bring it in, he says. Let your actions prove what you're saying. You see here, God's default setting is to bless. He wants to keep his end of the bargain. He wants to keep his covenant blessings. God is longing for his people to return to him. He's like a father with his arms open wide, welcoming that prodigal son back. But remember, these things, they are part of the old covenant. They're part of the old covenant blessing on the people of Israel. Uh, The curse, famine, pests, fruit rotting. The blessing, abundance, fertility, mountains dripping with wine. See, verse 10, God will hold nothing back. An overwhelming blessing, more than the people can use. And bigger than that, verse 12, the outside world would look at the nation of Israel and say, they're blessed. God must be with them because everything's gone right for them. That is the plan, isn't it? But in order to bring that about, the people will have to change their minds. 
They will have to stop thinking that belonging to God doesn't matter. They'll have to stop thinking that God has unfairly left them behind. That God doesn't care. And when they do that, it will lead to action. It will lead to fixing that relationship again, restoring, sorting out that temple. I know it was many weeks back, but if you remember last time in Malachi, we saw God say that offerings would be given again. And that would change things. If there are offerings made, blessing will come in abundance. But in order to do that, God has said, I will be refining the people. I will judge the people. Contributions will be made again. But are they going to come from this people? Well, God says, return to me. Be on the right side of history before it's too late. Again, there are differences between Israel and of Malachi's day and us today. But the big message, it still rings true. Belonging to God should change our actions. Just flick with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 verse 8 is on page 1215, Church Bibles. I think James has Malachi open as he writes his letter. James chapter 4 verse 8, he picks up on what Malachi is saying here. And he says to Christians of his day, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, James says that Christians can be double-minded. We can say one thing and we can do another. We can claim to rely on God, but we can also hold things back just in case. Uh, We can take out insurance for when God might not come through. Or as James says in the whole of his letter, we flirt with the world. Just like Israel of Malachi's day. And so we should be looking at our actions, making sure that our actions match up with our words. We should expose our double-mindedness and do something about it. Now we've said tithing, as the Bible defines it, is not part of the new covenant. Christians are not expected to give a Levite 10% of what the land produces to keep a temple going. I mean, Sam and I are not Levites. Hobbs Hillwood Primary School is not a temple. Okay. But our money, it does connect to what we believe, doesn't it? Uh, Our investments, our savings. What we do with our money, it says a lot. There are whole companies out there that want you to connect your bank account to them so they can look at what you're doing with your money. They can figure out what you're going to buy next, what you're likely to do next, what you really think. It's a good tell of where your hope lies, isn't it? Your bank account, when you think about it. Of course, that changes for all of us. You can live God's way with a lot of money, or you can live God's way with a little money. There are great examples of both rich and poor Christians throughout the Bible. Living God's way means being faithful with what you're given. But the question is this, if someone was to look at how you spend your money tonight, would they come away thinking, that's a Christian there? Or if it was Malachi's terms, would they see, oh, they're about 80% Christian, 20% something else. 20% backup plan for a rainy day. I mean, the New Testament's chock full of this. We're going to see in 2 Corinthians that money is a way that we show how we align with authentic gospel ministry. We're going to see God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful contribution. I mean, that talks to all of us, doesn't it? How are we getting on with that? See, I can stand up here, but I can't see into anyone's heart, so I'm just going to have to leave it there. But it's a warning in Malachi's day. It's a warning to us as well. 
So please don't go away tonight without thinking more about it. Because God is coming. You're going to see more of that looks like in Malachi next week. But for Israel, God is coming to visit the temple. Striking that Sam pointed us to that this morning, isn't it? God is coming to visit his temple and the state the temple is in is going to show what his people think of him. I mean, if he had to turn a table, that's going to say a lot, isn't it? Just like a family member turning up at your house. Is the state of the house going to reflect what you think about them? And we've seen that God is going to come again. Jesus announced when he came as the messenger that God is going to return. And so we have a chance to get ready as well. So this evening, how is your relationship with God? Does it affect your actions? That's a sign of whether it's true or not. Thank you so much for listening. Any feedback or questions can be sent to podcast at david-couch.com and I'll catch you again next time.